Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. and welcome to episode 371 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's Sunday, October 9th, about 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And on this NLDS preview edition of the podcast, I am joined by both of my regular co-hosts, Eric Cole and Scott Coleman. Gentlemen, welcome back. And let's talk about some playoff baseball, shall we? Yeah, here we go. It, uh, it was a great regular season, but uh, with expectations so high for the Braves, should be a really fun, hopefully next month or so. We'll we'll see what kind of run they have left in them. But um, always good to do one of these with you boys and um, certainly no shortage of things to talk about with the Phillies looming. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a really interesting matchup. Uh, I've certainly done my fair share of talking about this particular <laughs> matchup. Uh, and, the, and the Braves making the playoffs this week. Uh, so I will hopefully not be overlapping too much. Uh, but I will say that I, I think that this was not the most ideal of uh, matchups for the Braves have between the two options. But overall, you know, it's it's hard to be too upset this year. I mean, you win 101 games coming off a World Series and, you know, doing what they did to actually catch the match and all that stuff. It's still just in a great season and just kind of glad to be able to have one of these to kind of talk about uh, at the end of that. So, you know, and more importantly, avoiding the wild card series, which uh, looked like it was pretty much a bloodbath this weekend. Yeah, as you guys both alluded to there, the Braves will be playing the Phillies in a best-of-five series that begins on Tuesday. That was up in the air this weekend. The Phillies made quick work of the Cardinals in a two-game best-of-three sweep behind their two best pitchers and Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, who we will all see shortly. I had a good feeling. Um, you know, the Phillies did win only 87 games this year, so the Braves won 14 games more than the Phillies, but the prize is uh, home is home field advantage in a five-game series is all you get. Uh, so that's not exactly a huge advantage, let's just say, but uh, the Phillies are not the team I wanted to play either. Uh, I sort of agree with you on that, Eric. The gap wasn't too big, and really what I was rooting for, I think what Braves fans probably should have been rooting for, rooting for above all else, was a three-game series, and unfortunately that did not happen because usually you, you want the opponent to be taxed as much as possible, but it did, it did make it easier for us, us to record this podcast a little bit earlier. I was already feeling bad for Eric in particular because if the Braves had uh, not known their opponent, we would have had to wait till probably, I don't know, 11 p.m. on Sunday evening to see the very end of Phillies Cardinals, and now we get to record this in a uh, comfortable hour, so uh, more sleep for everybody else, and Scott's, of course, in the middle of the afternoon right now, so no big deal. Uh, as we sort of you know, we talked about this a lot. I'm not going to do the whole retrospective now. The Braves did go 11-8 and eight against the Phillies this year. They won that season series, not necessarily in dominant fashion. And we should just say this at the top of the show, in addition to plugging the podcast and encouraging everybody to, to subscribe to the show and getting all the free podcast content for the price of $0. But the Braves went 78-34 and 34 
in their final 112 games this year. They were down 10 and a half games in the division. As of June, they were down seven games in the division in mid-August. And uh, they came back and closed it all out, won the division. And the price the price of that in a positive way was being able to not have to play this weekend and also just like avoiding the variance that comes with that. There's still plenty of variance. We'll get into this five-game series. Like even a team that is a lot better than its opponent can lose a five-game series in baseball. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with Eric. Like what did you sort of take away watching the wild card festivities and kind of realize that the Braves avoided all of that and, not had, and also had to lot up their rotation and all the pluses that came along with it? Well, my initial impression was that I felt like, you know, Stephen and I recorded early this week, and we both thought that the Cardinals would have been a more favorable matchup for the Braves because we just didn't think very much of the Cardinals, both like starting pitching wise, like their lineup was a bit suspect. And as it turns out, both those things were true. Uh, uh, that the the Cardinals pitching staff held up reasonably well, but you know, the, overall, just like the lineup didn't do all that much, and it would have been better if the Braves had been able to do that. But the more I took away from it, though, is just like. How much like like I, a three game series in the wild card is infinitely better than the one game wild card game or whatever it was, and I, I think that everyone should agree on that point. It does make scheduling a little bit more difficult uh, towards the end of the season, especially if you're trying. You know, it's uniquely weird this year just because they had to kind of, you know, crunch the schedule a bit for because of the lockout and how things went down there. But overall, you know, at the end of the day, I do think that the better team won. Um, I think that in all the cases in the wild card. Uh, with the notable exception of the one that hasn't been decided yet, which is the the Padres and the Mets, which is shipping up to be really interesting. And, you know, watching Mets fans melt down after game one certainly brought, you know, some happiness to my cold, dead heart. But overall, it was a – I'm happy overall with the, the format changes, I think. Um, I think that maybe reseeding uh, in in subsequent years uh, after the wildcard round makes, it, makes a certain amount of sense. But – Overall, there's just some weirdness with just kind of, you know, like when you have 100, 200 win teams, one gets a buy and the other one has to play in a wildcard round, doesn't feel super awesome. But overall, I'm happy with the format changes. I'm happy with kind of how things worked out. I'm not surprised that the Phil- that the Phillies took down St. Louis. And, you know, they're going to be tough, uh, particularly with those two types. Really, the three pitchers they have at the top of their rotation, that's going to be a tough series. Yeah, you know, it, it's the first year and things worked out really nicely for the Braves, of course, winning the division and, and getting the buy, which... Um, we'll see down the road in years to come how this new playoffs format shakes out, if there are any uh, you know, unexpected benefits of certain seeds and everything. But um, you know, it was from a, a casual fan perspective, or even a fan of a team who whose team was not playing this weekend, it was great. I mean, I loved it. I loved on Friday. I think the first pitch was at noon Eastern time, and there was baseball on until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Uh, you had the four games on Friday and Saturday. You have the game on Sunday. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed the format. I know we talked, gosh, seven months ago about the potential for expanded playoffs. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in you do not want to let half of the league make the playoffs after 162 games, because then what is the regular season good for? But I think most fans, as Eric alluded to, the one game wild card just never caught on. I mean, it was never the must watch sporting event for even non-baseball fans. I think baseball fans watch the game and maybe a few casual, uh, casual others did, but it just, it was just silly as we have talked about for years to play 162 and then have it come down to nine innings. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of the new format. Um, I know there was some uh, initial angst that the Phillies, you know, to the Phillies credit, they do, 
have some pieces that match them up to the playoff formula that has worked the last five or six years, especially with their top end starting pitching and the power in their lineup. But at the same time, like everybody is good this time of year. There's no bad teams. If you asked me one through eight of the remaining teams where I would put the Phillies as a potential opponent for the Braves, like other than Cleveland, I I think I would take Philadelphia over everybody else. Uh, so it's going to be a, a challenging season. It's been a really fun playoff so far. And, um, and and of course, there is the familiarity aspect with all of it, too. Yeah, we're going to dive into the series. Obviously, that's our main task today. And I agree with your general stance there. And it is a uh, a point to kind of throw out there that in under the old format, the Phillies, the Phillies would, not, would not be in the playoffs. They were the third wild card team, and they would not have been in the field had uh, they not expanded the playoffs. So we'll see if that comes back to uh, be a talking point later on. But uh, they are in the round. That's who the Braves have to play. And before we dive into the actual strikes weaknesses of the Phillies in particular, uh, let's do the uh, the mini rant here about start times at the very beginning of the podcast. Uh, Braves fans are very angry about the start times that were just announced about an hour, maybe two hours ago at this point on Sunday afternoon. And the first two games are, at least for me, not a surprise. I know Braves fans seemingly did not pay attention to this stuff closely enough to kind of not be surprised by it like I was. But it's a 1.07 p.m. Eastern time start for game one on Tuesday, and it's a 4.35 p.m. Eastern time start for game two on Wednesday, both games on Fox. Um, If you know this stuff or pay attention to the media side of this thing, uh, you can disagree with it, and I, I generally do disagree with it, just to be very clear on that. The presence of the Yankees and the presence of the Dodgers basically locked in uh, those two teams to evening games. And with the way baseball's been doing this for a while now, um, which is this is the part that I don't like very much, is that the for whatever reason that they were kind of refused to stagger games. And that means starting games for East coast teams at 1 PM local on a week, on a weekday. That's a, that's a brutal start time. No one's saying otherwise it's awful for fans. It's not fan friendly at all. Um, I think in this day and age, the amount of baseball fans that watch other teams that are not their own is pretty small. And I think that, uh, not staggering like the way that the NCAA term- tournament does, for instance, like on that second weekend, I know Scott and I always love and talk, talk about all the time, but like, Here's a reason why they on the second on the second weekend of the of the NCAA tournament they, they don't start games at three o'clock in the afternoon they stagger games they start them all in the evening that makes a lot more sense to me um, and but that's not what happens and because of all of that uh, I've been a vocal proponent for a while that the Braves have a giant fan base that they probably should treat like a giant fan base more often than they do but the uh, the Dodgers being the, the only West Coast team that's locked into to uh, evening games uh, they have to play somewhat later in the day and then the Yankees are the Yankees and they're the number one fan base number one size market all that stuff in baseball. I wasn't surprised. My one gripe, though, before I throw it to you guys, is that Wednesday, um, the AL has a day off on Wednesday for whatever reason. I can, I guess probably to have games somewhere, some somehow on Thursday. But uh, Wednesday, there are two games. It's only the National League, and the Braves are still starting at 435. Uh, that's better for people that are working during the day in Atlanta. But why isn't one of those games at like 6? Um, and they couldn't do six and nine if they wanted to maybe not stagger them. Um, I'm not sure why the, why the Dodgers have to start at seven 30 or eight local um, Eastern time, which means four 30 or five local. It's kind of, it's anti-fan in my experience. I know I'm not quite as mad about this as Braves fans are, but uh, Scott, I'll throw it to you as the West coast correspondent. Did you have uh, strong takes on, on the start times? Uh, you know, honestly, you just took all of the words out of my mouth. So Sorry, Scott. No, I mean, it, you said it perfectly. Um, you know, there's no vendetta against the Atlanta Braves. There's no, uh, they won the World Series, so we're going to try to put them at a disadvantage. 
No, it's uh, just markets. It's all it is. It's, it's it I, is. I hate it. I hate it, but it's just markets. What it is. I do too. The Wednesday thing is weird. The fact that they're going to play early, as you noted, um, I, you know, I guess another gripe could be instead of being the first game on Tuesday, uh, I believe Houston and Seattle is going to be uh, the second game played that day. Maybe you could argue those two teams should be flipped, but you're also talking about a, a decent sized Seattle market where you're talking about a potential 10 a.m. Uh, first pitch on the West Coast. So for all of the points you made, it's frustrating. I don't understand why they don't stagger out the games, why there only can be one baseball game on at a time. It is so silly, uh, but it is what it is. And, um, you know, it is a chance for the Braves to exercise some of those day, uh, day game <laughs> demons that have plagued them literally all year. That's, um, the, that's the other side of this thing, by the way. And I, I want to get Eric to weigh in on it too, but like some, I think some of, I don't want to say all, but some of the fan angst that I've seen, I think maybe a little bit of kidding, but some people are serious about this. Like the people are, I think are more worried about the baseball results of this because the boys are playing in the day, playing it during the day. I get why, because they've been bad during day games. Um, my take is generally speaking, that doesn't matter. I think that it's more just random noise, randomness and noise, but I know that I am a little bit more like analytical on this stuff than with my heart. Uh, I mean, do you guys care about this baseball wise? Like, do you think this actually hurts the Braves to be playing day games or is it just like an understandable fan, uh, fan angst thing? I mean, even if there is a baseball reason, that's a Braves problem. That's not a scheduler problem. That's not a MLB problem. You know, if like the Braves can't figure out how to win day games, that's, like a fundamental problem with your squad and you probably don't deserve to get the the added benefit of, you know, just getting night games. Right. Um, they're, they're I, I, anyway, by the way, the weekend weekends are going to have to get some day games along the way. There's no, oh, no question about that. Yeah. It, and again, I just don't, I just don't think that much about that sort of stuff. Uh, I do think it stinks a bit just because, uh, you know, parking at Truist is going to be a nightmare. I mean, it, you know, even during, I mean, during this run and given how many sellouts they've had, it's already been pretty brutal. But, you know, having these earlier games, there's just less parking spots available. So in that sense, it kind of stinks. I think it makes it less likely that people are going to be able to get to the games. Uh, I don't I think that's a lot of that is overblown, though. For starters, whoever's going to be at Truist Park, and I still expect there to be healthy crowds for the first two games of the NLDS, uh, considering what you mean, what has happened historically this season uh, in terms of just Braves attendance in general and playoffs and, you know, supporting the team coming off the World Series run. I don't think that's going to mean I think that there's going to be plenty of support there at Truist. Um, I, I think the Braves will still play well. I, 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 I'm with you. I don't understand the lack of staggering. Um, you know, it does just feel weird just to have a playoff game. I mean, on the one hand, if you think that if Manfred and MLB th honestly think that all baseball fans will just watch all four of these games, uh, if they are not being shown at the same time, then, you know, the logic is kind of understandable, but that's just not what happens, right? You have to be no. catering to like, you have to be catering to the markets and to the teams themselves. And it just seems like staggering just makes a whole lot more sense to me, but this is not a new problem. You know, no. there's been plenty of teams, there's plenty of teams that get like, have gotten screwed over each and every year uh, that they have to play these early games because then they don't, and their fans can't show up. Uh, again, it stinks that the Braves have home field advantage and, you know, two of the home games that they have are going to, you know, be at times where it's going to be harder for fans to show up. But I don't know if that's going to change once these games are in Philadelphia. Uh, if, assuming and depending on how long this series goes on in you know into this five game series, but you know I think that at the end of the day, when you have New York and you have LA, you have 
you know, the potential for the Mets being in, which puts another New York market team in there, or you have San Diego, which is another West Coast team, which causes other problems with start times. Like, again, not a new problem. If they had just decided that they would stagger games in the evening, then this would be uh, not be a problem. But if they make that decision, then this is always going to be the case. And unfortunately, in the Braves case, it's at best, it's minor, though. Like, at the end of the day, I still think there's going to be plenty of eyeballs on the games. And I still think that, you know, again, not the, 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 Day game curse, not without, you know, <laughs> withstanding uh, really what has really gotten them have been getaway games. And, you know, so maybe we have to circle that Wednesday game as being potentially problematic. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter to me all that much. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And uh, I'll, I'll just say one little one little note about the uh, the parking issue. And it's definitely a good point, Eric. I know I, I have friends going to the games on Tuesday and or Wednesday and parking is awful at Truist during the day. Uh, I will simply state that that's a, that's the Braves' fault. <laughs> the Braves built their uh, stadium yep. in a place where there's no parking. That's not a MLB problem. That's a that's a Braves' problem. But uh, obviously, we better at the games. We're not in the afternoon for that for that perspective. But uh, listen, like if you think that if you're Rob Manfred and you believe that a fan in Cleveland is going to watch the Braves and the Phillies at 1 p.m. on a Tuesday, salute you, Rob Manfred. No one's watching that game on 1 p.m. on a Tuesday unless it's their team. So anyway, that's enough of that for now. The rest of the series, by the way is the day off on Thursday, and then they play Friday and Saturday in Philadelphia, and then there's no off day between Game 4 and Game 5, so they have to travel. Um, if that game, if the series does go to 5, which we all hope it does not, in a positive direction, um, three straight games without a day off, and uh, no start times yet for those weekend games because baseball hates their fans. Um, okay, let's get on to the Phillies at this point, talk a little, a little bit about their strengths and weaknesses. We talked about them a little bit earlier, but let's start with the offense. Uh, this is a team that has a lot of power, First and foremost, they were in the top three or four in the National League in home runs and slugging. They have a kind of modest walk rate, but they've been matching lefties all year long. They have Bryce Harper, who has not been great recently, but is a star, a capital S star. Kyle Schwarber has like a million home runs this year. They have a bunch of talented guys. Jitu Romuto is a familiar face. Um, I, I, they're kind of scary. They're not like ridiculously scary offensively in my mind. But they do have enough guys who can beat you single-handedly where there's never going to be a dull moment, I don't think, over the course of this series. Eric, you have any thoughts about the Phillies offense at this stage? Uh, I think you hit it right, is that they're they have guys that can beat you, but they're not like on the whole scary, right? Like they just they perform reasonably well. Uh if you give a bunch of home runs against them, you're probably not gonna beat them. Um that brings into question some of the starter choices that the Braves have to make, especially if Spencer Strider can't play. Uh, I kind of shudder at the thought of putting Charlie Morton against this lineup, for example, given uh, his struggles both against the Phillies and just in general with kind of just giving up home runs at inopportune times this year. But you have to like what the Braves lineup, you know, can line up their starters against this particular team. You know, again, Bryce Harper has not looked particularly scary of late, but JT Real Muto's had a really good year. Kyle Schwarber, you know, being <laughs> the leadoff hitter extraordinaire that he's been. Um, is a guy that has certainly carried the, the Phillies to some games. Reese Hoskins is, is, a, is a dangerous hitter, too. And they've had some guys who've had some pretty good years. Alec Bohm, uh, who still has not touched on plate, uh, has had put together a pretty good year against the Braves specifically. He seems like to constantly get hits against yeah. them um, to kind of keep that and keeps that sort of that that line moving for the Phillies offense in these in these Braves Phillies games. You know, and they again, like again, Nick Castellanos isn't a guy that has, you know, been particularly awesome this year, but he's another guy that we know that can hit the ball far and can really do a lot of damage. And they have some guys who are, again, there's, I wouldn't call this like neither of the the Cardinals or the Phillies were teams that like, like were overtly scary, scary, but this is a lineup that can do some damage against you. And, you know, especially with some of the starters that can run out. 
Yeah, I think it's we talked about it a little bit at the start, but it, it's the power. Um, as we know, this time of year, it is really, really difficult to string together four, five, six hits in a row to have a big inning. But what you can do is you can run into a fastball and hit it over the wall. I mean, famously, that's what the Braves did last year. Uh, it, it's kind of what the Braves did against the Mets last weekend. Uh, it's really tough, right? Like you're just not going to have a bunch of singles in an in an inning unless you're either lucky or, uh, you know, whatever's going on. But like the fact that Philadelphia has power is concerning. Um, you know, for me, it's Bryce Harper is the biggest factor for this lineup. Um, he broke his thumb in June. Once he came back in late August, he, he has not been very good. He has an 86 WRC plus. In uh, about 150 plate appearances, 86 for a guy whose career number is almost like 140, 150. So we know how good Bryce can be. Uh, you know, the Braves can keep him under wraps. JT Realmuto is always a pest. Um, even someone like Gene Segura has given the Braves problems in in recent years. Um, so it's a veteran lineup, and uh, the Braves are going to have to pitch well. But again, I mean, it, it's not a lineup where it's like, holy smokes, that this might really be a problem. Um, I think as long as you can keep some of their sluggers from just going off and hitting, you know, multiple home runs, uh, quite obviously that that's going to go a long ways. Yeah. And forgive me, by the way, if there's any dog barking in the background, I'm not in my, my normal studio this evening, but um, all that said, like they've been a little bit better against lefties and righties this year. Um, of course, the Braves only have the one uh, scheduled left-hand starting pitcher and that's Max Freed. So I don't want really to worry too much about that. Bullpen wise, it might matter a little bit. But they've still been solid against righties, too. This is not a team that has a ton of weaknesses offensively. We'll get into their weaknesses in a, in a moment with their defense because it is very bad defensively, which is probably an edge for the Braves in this series. But, uh, yeah, I think the overall point of this is not a team that's going to, like, you know, generate runs, manufacture runs, but they could just bash you to death if things go poorly. So, uh, you know, your guys who are vulnerable to home runs are maybe a little bit more vulnerable to home runs in this series, and that could be a little bit scary. But at the same time, it's not an offense that like terrifies me. So that's kind of the middle ground on all of that. Um, before we dive into the rest of the Phillies and a little bit of Braves content, of course, at the end of the podcast, we'll talk about the uh, decisions that the Braves have to make on the roster and much more. A word from our sponsors on the show today. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, guys, let's get back into it with a quick look at the defense. Uh, The Phillies have been memed for their defense for months and months and months, even before the season started. We all kind of knew they were going to be terrible defensively. That has been the case. I was looking at their outs above average coming in to – this weekend um they basically have only been decent defensively at like one and a half positions they're decent at shortstop and they're decent in center field and basically everywhere else they're terrible they are playing dhs in the corners in castellanos and schwarber they're playing a dh at third base and alec bohm they're playing a dh at first base in reese hoskins like it's really really bad and like you know it's a short series maybe that won't matter but uh if anything we kind of know going into the series the braves are the much better defensive team yeah, we'll, we'll see how it translates into a short series. We know that the margin of error is so small. You know, one defensive miscue can uh, send a series sideways. 
Um, so it is. It's an advantage for the Braves. Um, the fact they're going to open in Truist, even if uh, you know Philadelphia knows Truist well, just because they've played like ten games there this year. But um, yeah, defense could be a real factor. We know that the Braves um, are, are pretty good defensively. Um, I, I thought that was one area maybe in the final month and a half that got a little sloppy at times defensively. Uh, but regardless, the Braves are a significantly better defensive team, and we will see if that ends up playing a factor in the series. Yeah, and I think that, you know, other than like miscues, which I think it's fair to say that Philly's more likely to make those kinds of like, you know, like disaster level, you know, trying to d- d- do a dive and catch on a ball and ends up rolling past and going to the wall and causing big damage, uh, or, you know, Alec Bohm doing some pretty adventurous things over there at third base, particularly. But I think it comes down to more just, you know, like it's just far more likely that good plays are going to come from the, I mean, there's no on the Phillies. There's just no one that's going to like, you know, like, wow, make one of those kind of wow defensive plays that saves a game. Whereas the Braves have several guys that could do that. You know, I know that Matt Olson hasn't been particularly up to his standards at first base, but you know, I could definitely see situations where he could make a play on a plate on a ball hit down the line that, you know, could have ended up, causing damage michael harris has been making great plays out in center field all year uh ronnie certainly isn't at his best but he's capable of making big plays out there and right dansby's been fantastic at shortstop this year uh and is basically guaranteed to make a couple plays that will you know open eyes and you know basically save run scoring or like you know shorten innings significantly and all these things are going to matter because you know once you get into these longer series and it's at the end of the year you really you, you need to get your starting pitchers out of innings relatively quickly. It's all about pitch count. It's all about, you know, if you can get your starter to go another inning or even another two, because you make a couple key defensive plays, like those are big, big deals in in these kind of longer series, especially with one that only has one day off this, you know, switching back and forth between road, road and home that, you know, you want to be able to kind of get some length from your starters and not, you know, have to leave those guys out there to just get continue to get bludgeoned or get out of a tough inning. And the Braves are just more likely to do that. So, you know, the, the Phillies have understandably, uh, been memed on, uh, as you said, for being a bad defensive team. And this is a series where that can bite them. It's not guaranteed to do so because this Braves team isn't exactly known for kind of, you know, do the whole hit, put the ball and play a whole bunch and see what happens type. You know, this is certainly an offense that relies on the long ball too. But I, I see that it's just more likely that the Braves are going to get those plays that get them out of innings than the Phillies are. And I think that ends up going to be a, a, a relatively important thing to kind of think about. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think that it's just worth noting the Braves have some weaknesses defensively, like left field has been an adventure at times this season. Um, no matter what you think about Austin Riley, he's not a huge plus, I don't think, defensively at third base. But like the Phillies have four or five, six spots that are like that. And they don't have the guys like Swanson or Michael Harris who are huge pluses either. So um, I will take that advantage, certainly, if you are the Braves. And, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to definitely play out, but I certainly like that spot if you want to start with something that's it's a huge edge toward Atlanta. Um, speaking of run prevention, we should talk about the pitching as well. The Phillies did have to use their top two starters to beat the Cardinals. That does matter, um, although there was enough of a break in between the series where they can actually go in game two and game three. That's Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, both of whom were top 10-ish starters in the National League this year. They're both very good. 
Uh, that leaves them with Ranger Suarez as the game one starter projected. We don't know that. No one has announced starters for this series. Neither neither side. We can kind of assume what the Braves are going to do in game one with Max Freed, but and I think Suarez was going to be the guy in game three for the Phillies. So we kind of have to think it's going to be him in game one. Um, he's the only lefty Suarez is in the Phillies projected rotation for the series. The Braves have been better against lefties this year than righties. Um, he's a pretty good pitcher, though. I will say, you know, kind of a big ground ball pitcher, like a 56% career ground ball rate, which is pretty impressive. He's not the kind of guy that has the same level of bona fides as Wheeler and Nola, but uh, Suarez is is a solid to pretty good pitcher. So no walkovers here. Maybe Kyle Gibson in game four, if that happens. Kyle Gibson is like, my comp for Kyle Gibson is probably Jake Odorizzi, which I think Hawks, uh, Hawks fans, Braves fans really uh, hate Jake Odorizzi. But Kyle Gibson is like a guy who's been pretty good in the past and has not been good recently. That's maybe who they'll use in game four. But um, I think generally speaking, the Phillies are pretty good as a starting pitching group. Uh, they actually led the National League in Fangraphs war for starting pitchers. I'm not sure they're that good, but Wheeler and Nola are really good. Well, when you have like, again, like Nola's a legitimate Cy Young candidate and yeah. Zach Wheeler is in that conversation. I mean, that's just what's going to happen, right? Um, this this is an interesting matchup because Suarez has both been good this year and lately has been really good. So this game one is a bit of a trap in some respects for the Braves. Now, you certainly have you know Max Fried going out there. You have no issues with sending him out there uh, with a lefty-on-lefty matchup. Uh, it definitely helps against some of the, the uh, Phillies bats, notably Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, having that kind of lefty on lefty matchup there, but the you know, the Phillies have been a little bit better against lefties, and more importantly, like Freed has been I wouldn't call him bad against the Phillies, but he's certainly been vulnerable against the Phillies, and he's not he's this isn't one of the teams that he feels like it looks like he feasts upon or anything like that. He's been okay to to decent against the Phillies this year, so the it's a pretty interesting matchup, and it kind of gets back to what we are probably going to be talking about later with the 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 roster decision is how the Braves match up with the Phillies is going to be determined a lot by whether Spencer Strider's healthy and whether or not they actually let him throw meaningful innings because the one guy that the Braves have that has absolutely dominated the Phillies is Spencer Strider. And yeah. he, and unfortunately we don't know what he's going to be available or for how many innings. Uh, I don't think that when, when Bowman made his report, uh, he says something like he'll only throw two or three things. I don't think two or three innings rather. I don't think he says that lightly. I don't think that this came out of nowhere. Uh, and if that's the case, this make that makes this series significantly more difficult. Not because you don't have only because you've had your guy who's been the best against the Phillies not being throwing meaningful innings, but also it also means that there's going to be more bullpen innings being allocated to by the Braves, and that just makes everything a little bit more wonky. So that it definitely makes that a little bit more spooky. Uh, I'm very curious as to what the Braves end up doing with the order of their pitchers for the first couple games. That will tell us a lot in terms of you know what they're going to try to do and maybe. You know, maybe in a two-one series lead type situation, they start off with Strider and kind of see what happens. But I'm honestly kind of expecting Strider to not start Game One or Game Two. And when you're up against Suarez and Wheeler in those first two games, again, assuming that's how it goes, it could be Nola. There's a lot of different ways this could go if they decide to do short rest or whatever. But it's 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 pretty spooky considering who the, the Phillies can run out there, and they're going to have to really kind of not let those guys go seven innings. Otherwise, this could get this series could get away from the Braves in a hurry. Yeah, we'll come back to Strider, of course, in a second. But um, you know, throwing it, but throwing it to Scott, like it feels like game one. This is obviously Captain Obvious, but uh, game one is gonna be very important, especially because of how good Nola and Wheeler are. Not that the Braves couldn't beat them; they obviously can. No one's saying otherwise. But on paper, um, 
those are more difficult matchups, particularly if Strider is not himself at full 100% strength, because um, objectively speaking, maybe you could call Kyle Wright versus one of those guys kind of a wash, but Morton is not a wash against either of those guys at this point in time. Um, Strider with a short leash is not the same because he's only going to throw a couple innings, like, like you just said, maybe potentially. So I think that puts even more pressure on game one because that's really the only game in the series that you definitely have a pitching advantage um, because yeah, if Strider is a pitching game four, that'd be a huge advantage if he's at full strength, but you don't know that at this point in time. So the only thing, you know, going in is that game one, you have Max Freed, your ace, you're at home. And while Suarez is pretty good, he's not Max Freed. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, it does. Um, I, I do think we were talking about the advantage and yes, it would have been ideal if the Phillies had to play three games to beat St. Louis. Uh, but Zach Wheeler is only going to be able to start in game two, presumably that would be normal rest. And then uh, Aaron Nola, who has been as good as anyone this year is on track to start game three. And because there is no day off, um, you're basically guaranteed that you're only going to have to see Aaron Nola for one start. Whereas if you didn't have the luxury of Philadelphia playing games this weekend, then you would have, potentially and more than likely faced Aaron Nola twice, potentially Zach Wheeler twice on a short, uh, shorter rest. So th- that's an advantage. Um, I mean, Ranger Suarez is good, but I, I don't want to overstate things a little bit. Like Max Freed is a big time advantage over Ranger Suarez in game one. As you talked about the importance of winning game one. Yes. Captain obvious winning game one in a best of five mathematically and, and ma- makes a big difference. Um, but at the same time, the Braves lost game one of the NLDS last year and then won three in a row. Um, and I think, you know, I don't want the podcast to sound like we're just like terrified of Philadelphia and we're, we're waving the white flag. The Braves are, are not. a significantly, <laughs> significantly better team. Um, but as you know, as we try to be fair in our analysis, the Phillies do have three really good starting pitchers and just don't have much depth behind them. Um, but as as we have outlined um, Strider's availability is going to play a big factor in the pitching matchups. And then, um, as we know, when Max Freed is on, he is is truly as good as anybody in baseball. And he's also well-rested right now, which is uh, historically Max has been very, very good when he has extra rest. Now, it's not always, you know, it's not a huge sample size, all that stuff, but I think he, we can all be confident, confident in Max Freed as a top, you know, 10, 15 pitcher in baseball and uh, him at full strength at home, you're in a good spot there. To be sure. And, you know, again, a lot of it comes back to Strider, but we'll circle back to that in a second. Quickly before to sort of round out the Phillies, their bullpen uh, has been terrible in recent years. This year has not been terrible. They're not fantastic. Uh, They were like, yeah, they're fourth in Fangraphs war among nationally teams out of the bullpen. That's above average, not great necessarily. They have some recognizable names. They have David Robertson. They have Zach Eflin. They have Brad Hand. Um, They have guys that you might have heard of but they are not necessarily uh, the most reliable bunch in the world. And I think that, again, this is an area, bullpen versus bullpen, where the Braves have uh, what I think is a pretty clear advantage. It may not be as big as a defensive as, as a defensive advantage, but bullpen versus bullpen, you'd have a hard time saying you'd rather have the Phillies. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. Oh, I mean, the Braves bullpen, especially knowing that you only need like six arms, might is, is for my money, it's the best bullpen around, especially the way Iglesias and Minter have been throwing, even Colin McHugh. Um, I do think the bullpen is going to be a big factor if the Braves can get into Philadelphia's bullpen before like the seventh or eighth inning. 
Um, as you noted, the, the Phillies do have a couple of really power arms in the back end, uh, but where they're going to get exploited or hopefully get exploited in this series is with their bullpen depth. They they just don't have a ton of arms out there to just throw like the Braves do. Um, and if Atlanta can be patient and work the count, uh, the, you know, if you can get into the Philadelphia bullpen in those middle innings, it's only going to help. Yeah, and this is a Philly bullpen that, you know, you can work the count against. You know, this isn't a, a bullpen that's like throwing, you know, 98 to 100 and they're throwing it in the strike zone. They're just making you figure out how to hit it. You know, it's a lot of, you know, like hard-breaking stuff that's out of the zone, uh, trying to make you swing out of the zone. And, you know, like Scott said, if they can be patient, I think that they can even put themselves in a situation where, like, they can make certain guys unavailable. Um, I will say that I can already guarantee that I'm going to get tilted by Jose Alvarado uh, for, you know, basically costing a 10 minute <laughs> delay, 10 minute delay in a, in a playoff game because the the mound isn't to his liking, but overall I'm, you know, they, they have some guys who can throw and you definitely don't want to, you, you want to not just only stay, stay patient against their bullpen arms, but, you know, make sure guys like Wheeler, guys like Nola, guys like Suarez aren't, you know, just like having, you know, three pitch at bats, you know, throughout the nights where they can go into the seventh inning because they have enough arms to close games out in that in in those circumstances. Now, if you can get to them earlier, then they have to start relying on some guys who are a lot less, you know, a lot more speculative. And the Braves could really kind of put, you know, do some damage against, you know, those types of guys. And they also don't have a guy. I mean, like when you say Zach Eflin or Alvarado or David Robertson, those aren't names that like scare you, right? Like they're not, it's not Edwin Diaz waiting for you to pitch the final two innings of a game or anything like that. They've been pretty good, uh, but they are certainly not invincible. So that certainly helps. Uh, the, it's a very clear advantage. Like, you know, if it comes down to bullpen versus bullpen, the Braves clearly have a better bullpen than the, than the Phillies do. So I'm, I'm very curious as to kind of how it plays out out. And the only thing that could kind of swing things and could make things a little bit different is if, you know, the Braves have to start really dipping into their bullpen early and often. Uh, and there's a couple ways that could happen in this series, but if the Braves kind of can get state to the plan, get some meaningful innings out of their starters, then this seems like a pretty clear advantage for Atlanta. It is for sure. And, you know, I, I don't, you, you kind of never know how teams will, teams will approach their bullpens and how teams will approach their starters. Like how, you know, Snit obviously was a lot more, uh, progressive last year in the playoffs than he had been previously about like getting guys out of there quickly. That's probably the right approach in a short series when every game means so much, but uh, the Strider component also matters a lot. We'll touch on that now, I guess, you know, just to refresh everybody's memories here, special Strider has of course been awesome this year, but he's not pitched since September, 9th, since September 18th, you know, three-ish weeks, maybe a little bit longer at this point. He was on the IL as of the 24th of September with the, with the oblique injury. He's felt good throwing on flat ground a couple times He's not thrown off a mound to this point. Um, Dave O'Brien of The Athletic reported today on Sunday that the team is, quote, optimistic about Strider, and there's not been any setbacks at all, but they will not know for sure about him until he throws again sometime in the next couple of days. Mark Bowman, as you said earlier, Eric, he wrote today that if Spencer Strider was going, was going to start, he would, quote, likely be asked to complete just two to three innings, end quote. And he speculated on a game three, potentially game four return. They could hold him for game four and have him – I have an extra day basically until Saturday because they have Morton who they definitely trust more than Braves fans trust him at this point in time. But no matter what, it does seem like Strider, if he pitches, is not going to be a guy who they're going to throw seven innings. Now, most pitchers don't go that long in the playoffs anymore anyway, but he hasn't pitched in so long that I think he'll his leash would be a little bit shorter if he pitches. It does seem like it's pretty encouraging at this point. I know you guys, I think you I think you both said it, but basically he's been untouchable against the Phillies this year. It's a small sample size, but he has 
34 Ks in 21 innings against the Phillies with a 1.27 ERA and an opposing team OPS. OPS, not, not on base, not slugging, OPS of 372 for the Phillies this year. So needless to say, they could really use Strider um, just because uh, if they don't have him, we'll get, on, we'll get into this in a second, like their game four plan as a starter becomes uh, a big question mark and uh, maybe even two question marks in a row if you do not buy Charlie Morton anymore. So uh, Strider has been awesome this year. They need him badly. And uh, that's kind of all we have to say about it. I'm not sure if you guys have anything to add about Strider's condition, but hopefully uh, I think we're all just kind of crossing our fingers and that he can pitch, but there is some wiggle room. Maybe he can throw more of a like opener role and throw a couple innings if he's not quite back to his full arm strength, but uh, we're all kind of guessing as of Sunday. Yeah, again, I just don't think that Mark would say that idly, but at the same I time, it, if <laughs> if Strider's through three innings on like 39 pitches and is mowing down the Phillies, I personally have a tough time believing that Snicker would pull him out. Uh, it does depend a little bit on like, you know, how hard he's having to work in those innings, I think. But I'm certainly some someone told Bowman that would be kind of the plan. Yeah, uh, and they, they also could they they also could make him an opener, uh, make somebody else an opener and have him sort of be the bolt guy because I know we kind of lamented it back in the day a few months ago, but he was throwing out of the bullpen for the first two months of the season. And no one thinks he's a bullpen arm now. I'm not saying that. But because if they think he's limited, they could go with like a Bryce Elder or Jake Odorizzi opener and then hand the ball off to Strider in the third inning and hopefully, hopefully you get three out of him then and kind of bridge to your bullpen. That's that's an option too. Yeah. yeah uh, people are going to be upset about that. I know. Yeah. I, I, think, um, I think my preference would be if it gets to a game four, let's say for the sake of argument that Strider just isn't healthy, right? We'll we'll play devil's advocate, say he's just not healthy. They think there's a chance that if the Braves advance to the NLCS that they could have Strider, but they don't want to risk it or whatever. Uh, then I think I would prefer a bullpen game, probably start with like Colin McHugh for a couple innings, maybe Jesse Chavez, Dylan Lee, um, and just kind of go that way instead of sending Jake Odorizzi to the mound in Citizens Bank Park. Uh, that That's pretty horrifying. But at the same time, game four is very likely going to be a bullpen game for the Phillies as well. Um, so there, there's also that dynamic. I wonder if the Braves will potentially hold Spencer out until Thursday. And, and then if it is, you know, glass half full, and Spencer's ready to go, even if he can give, as you all talked about, even if he can give you three or four innings and looks like himself, that's one big for the long-term prognosis of this team's chances in October. Um, but as we know, even if you, I mean, even like the best starters only go four or five innings, uh, even when they're going well, right? It's become such a point of contention. Famously, Ian Anderson had a no-hitter in uh, the World Series last year and got pulled and every baseball writer in the world lost their mind. Uh, you know, it's it's a different game. As we know, these games get managed very differently. And um, as we talked about, if you can turn this into a bullpen series of sorts, uh, it, it certainly is a huge, huge, huge advantage for the Braves. Yeah, head to head, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because game four, for the Phillies, I know we said earlier, I, I compared Kyle Gibson to Jacob Odorizzi. Uh, and that's because that's, what he's kind of been like he, his ERA was over five this year. He's a former all-star, but not a guy that you're uh, thinking about as a quality option now And game four, the Braves at least have a chance to have, have Strider. The Phillies don't have a Strider waiting around. The Phillies are going to have to throw a compilation of people in, in game four, no matter what, whereas the Braves at least could have a Strider. And listen, the, the, the big wrinkle here is that the Braves have to decide about their roster. And once they decide about their roster, 
it, it gets a little bit more you're you're buckling in like you know if you have to pull a guy he's out for the nlcs so they have to be a little bit careful about what they do with strider that's kind of adding to the drama here is that they don't know what to make of him i think if he pitches and they are cool with where he is uh, in the next couple days. They'll put him on the roster, and then the question becomes how they use him and you know when they use him. Because like maybe you know best case scenario you sweep and you don't have to use him at all. But you know if he gets to game four and you haven't used him yet, I think they'll probably start him. They could use him as a bulk guy. I know people are talking about him in game three, and if he's ready, game three is Friday. Do you just start him? I guess maybe you do. So. I, I'll be shocked if he pitches before Friday because, you know, they have they have Max Freed and Kyle Wright who have both been really awesome this year. So there's no reason at all to push him in those first two games. But uh, game three is when it, when it starts to become interesting. And I guess the first part, the first spot where it becomes interesting is the, is the roster release, which we, again, are recording this Sunday night and the roster may not come out until Tuesday morning. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know for sure when, when that's actually going to be coming down the pike. So we're all kind of guessing at this point, but we do know that uh, they have to decide and that kind of influences everything else because if you see him left off the roster, you will know that they just don't want to have him on there and have to pull him. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point about, I think it's a, worth reminding folks, if you come off the roster at any point, you're out for the next round. So that that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, if you read the... I guess the smoke around the Braves, it does seem like Strider is going to be able to pitch. It's just going to be a matter of how long can he go? How careful do the Braves want to be with him? Because uh, again, in a in a perfect world, the Braves are going to win this series and then you will absolutely need Spencer Strider in the NLCS. I'm not saying that you could just overlook the Phillies entirely, but if, if there's a way to protect him, move on, uh, there are bigger games potentially down the road that you're going to really need Spencer. They're definitely going to have to uh, go ahead. I'll, I'll give it to you. Eric. They're definitely going to have to uh, be mindful of it. And I, I agree with the read, by the way, Scott, about the, the beat writers and stuff like that. Like Eric said it before about Bowman DOB, same thing. There's no way he is tweeting and reporting or whatever, what is via the athletic that they're optimistic if they're not optimistic and they don't tell him that if they're not actually optimistic. So I think that if I had to guess right now, he's pitching in this series, but we obviously don't know and neither do they until he pitches again. And I also think that, I mean, he might've thrown a bullpen today. It's entirely possible. He'll throw that tomorrow. Maybe they want to want to wait that long to kind of make the final decision. But like, if he has a really good bullpen where he throws like 60 or 75 pitches and they think he can go longer, there's zero chance that that news comes out. It'll just be something along oh, no. the lines of, nor should they'll they. be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. That, 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 that they will wait and they will, my, my guess is, you know, along the lines of what you guys think is that they're not going to you know, announce the postseason rosters until Tuesday. And, you know, the, the, we're going to keep hearing more of the same, you know, he we're, we're happy with where he is. We're going to keep waiting on making a decision. But, like, it's one of those things where I'm not going to be surprised. I'll be surprised if he's left off the roster completely. But I'm not going to be surprised if he ends up throwing meaningful innings and he actually just starts a game and just goes, you know, five innings or whatever. Just because I could see a world where, you know, he, he looks good and feels good enough where the Braves feel like as long as he's pitching well, that they'll give him that much rope. Yeah, it all comes down to as far as the the workload is concerned, if they do really think that he's only capable or that they're only going to let him throw, let's say three innings, there is an argument for having if you don't if you don't if you don't want to make it Bryce Elder or um Chico Dorizzi, you just say it's Colin McHugh or it's you say it's Jesse Chavez to start a game and then you bring him in as your bulk guy and you know throwing 101 out of the bullpen, whatever it's gonna be. They're gonna use him if they can. And obviously that'd be a huge X factor because he's been awesome this year. So we'll leave it there for now on Strider. We're all guessing and we'll have more at batterypower.com. I can tell you that right now as things uh, progress in the next few days. 
The other big uh, injury thing is Ozzy Albies. He's only played twice since June 13th. It's been speculated, I think Mark Bowman said this, that they, the earliest possible return for Ozzy is probably the NLCS. I don't think he's going to play in this series. They've not crossed him off, but I'd be pretty surprised if they did that now. And like to that end, like they've actually gotten some pretty solid contributions from Orlando Garcia. Um, I don't trust the bat, but he has been better in September and October so far. Juan Grissom has uh, violently cooled off at this point. So his bat, uh, I guess they, they they kind of proved it on the stretch when they were playing must-win games. Uh, that Mets series, it was Garcia every day. So they seemingly are uh, entrenched on Garcia ahead of Grissom. But those are the options. Garcia is probably the better defender at this point as well. So I do think that it's going to be Garcia in this series. But maybe cross your fingers, Ozzy's back for the NLCS. We just don't know. Yeah, I mean, that that's asking a lot, too, of Ozzy. Um, oh yeah, he's he's played like eighteen and eighteen innings in four months. So um, you know, it's interesting. I thought that was one of the more interesting storylines to come out of the home stretch. That seemingly overnight, the Braves shifted away entirely from Vaughn. And I mean, as we know, man, like Vaughn gave this team uh, an injection of life whenever he came up for a couple of weeks. But he has decidedly not been great. And I think really it's just more the defense. And as we have talked about in a short series, one defensive miscue can be the difference. Uh, quite clearly, Orlando Arcia is a better defensive second baseman. He's more familiar at the position. Um, and then maybe if you can get Ozzy Albies back in the NLCS, that would be great. We all love Ozzy, uh, but that is a lot to ask of him. Yeah. And it's just at the end of the day, you know, you, you don't know what you get from Oz. I mean, like, even if like, all the doctors say he's healthy enough to play and all of that. You want to get him some batting cage work at the very least before he starts going against playoff level competition, because, you know, him basically going in cold, I mean, he was still the last series of the, of the year still doing, you know, infield work with wash wearing a cast on his arm. So yeah. I don't think, I mean, like that doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense to, to rush it, especially when you have a guy like Arcia and, or even Vaughn in that regard. I mean, you're, you have some guys who can you know, fill in where, where needed. Uh, it was uh, certainly an interesting storyline, you know, with Arcia. I certainly think some of that was helped by the fact that he took over for Vaughn primarily in that national series. And, you know, it would be great if the, you know, obviously the nationals are terrible, but if the Braves are up against the nationals in the playoffs, I might pick, Arcia to be the, the 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 series MVP just because of the way he rakes against them. And when you kind of get that hot hand sort of thing, I mean, Snit's been known to kind of ride that until it's done with too. So I, I, I like both of those guys as kind of filling options. And it makes you feel like you don't have to rush like an Aussie decision or feel like your only shot is to get, you know, the, the 70% version of Aussie who hasn't hit and, you know, basically hit at all for, you know, four months or whatever it's been. So uh, again, it never they, they keep hemming and hawing about like you know they don't want to rule it out but i i, I it's almost zero chance to me that ozzy is even getting in on the on the nlcs roster or nlds roster i agree wholeheartedly um speaking of roster stuff let's just talk about what the decisions might be um i kind of penciled some stuff in here with some relative safety i wanted to be as open as possible but with that said the braves have eight guys who are like absolute position player locks like actual locks unless they're injured they have the catchers, Darno and Contreras. They have Matt Olson. They have Arcia, Dansby, Riley, Ronald Acuna, and Michael Harris. Then there are four guys who are like very likely to be on, like not a hundred percent, but a lot likely to be on. And that's Ozuna, Rosario, Grossman, and Von Grissom. That brings you to twelve. And then they have basically two more spot. Sorry, one more spot probably between Heredia and Adrianza. I think if you had to guess, 
Obviously, Ozzy could be in that mix as well. Um, do you guys have an opinion on who to carry between Heredia and Adrianza? Because it feels like there's only, only, only space for one. No, I, I probably probably Guillermo, just because he can play all three defensive outfield positions. I, I think he probably just brings a little bit more than Adrianza, but I really don't feel strongly either way. Yeah, I think it's Guillermo too, just because you you have a guy like both Grissom and Arcia who can play multiple positions too, uh, along along the infield. Um, you know, like if something were to happen to like Austin, for example, you wouldn't feel awful about Arcia playing over that third. Well, you wouldn't feel good about it, but you'd certainly, you know, it's certainly an option that could happen. You know, Vaughn's seen play at you know second, short, and third, not with the Braves, but you know, in the the minor leagues, he's at least played those positions before. So it seems like that versatility matters a lot more because when you have a guy like Grossman on your roster, uh, who's kind of your your backup outfielder, who seems like the most likely option, you know, you, and you might have to be playing a guy like Marcelo Zuna in the field in certain matchups that you're going to want to be doing some late inning replacements, and that's you know Guillermo fits that mold quite a bit. And you know, you know, in terms of pure vibes too, I, I have a tough time believing they're going to leave Heredia <laughs> off the roster. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty strongly in favor of Heredia over Andrianza for what you guys just said. Like, I think they're going to probably even need Heredia at some point defensively in a way that if Adrianz was on the roster, the assumption would have to be he never plays. Whereas Heredia, there is a pretty intrinsic value to having him on the team because if you're up three runs in the ninth inning, like he needs to be in the outfield. Like he is he is definitely one of your three best defensive outfielders, whereas Adrianza doesn't really have that. So that's kind of the tiebreaker for me. Obviously, if you get in a spot where you get a particular injury to someone, a la Olsen, a la Riley, you don't have a great setup for that. But like you said, you throw Arcia over there, you'd be fine for a little bit of time. And if you had to make a, a mid-series change beyond that, if it was a serious injury, you just get Adrianza on there anyway. So uh, in a one-game scenario, you're fine there. And I think that, again, Heredia has some real value. He should never bat if you could help it, probably. But uh, there's some there's there's a spot there for him. Yeah. We'll come back to the left field thing in a second. That's maybe the last thing we talk about. Um, on the pitching side, I think there are pretty much ten locks. You have Max Freed, you have Kyle Wright, Charlie Morton, and then you have the, the bullpen guys: Jansen, Iglesias, Mentor, Colin McHugh, Jesse Chavez. I think Matic's a lock, even though he maybe shouldn't be. And then Dylan Lee. Um, that's ten. Um, there are six guys that I could see being on there and by the way if we're talking about this before we just listed 13 position players so i'm thinking 13 pitchers that's 10 um you have, you have strider if he's healthy would be 11 and then you have uh two more spots between jackson stevens you have odorizzi you have bryce elder you have kyle muller and then you have i guess maybe kirby yates but he has not been healthy either and i'm not sure what they what, what, what they want to do there um i i don't really have huge takes here I, do you agree with my locks whoever wants to answer this um Basically, I, I think the 10 guys are pretty much locked in. And then it kind of depends on what they want to do with Strider and what they want to do with that game four spot. As you, I guess, do you need all of or any of the Odorizzi, Elder, Muller spot? Because I think you're going to have at least one of those guys. Do you need two? I don't really know. Yeah, so just kind of getting back, I think that the 13-13 split is almost a mortal lock. I just don't see the value in carrying the 14th position player, for example. Oh, no, there would be no like, reason to do like, that. Yeah, I've I've seen some weird roster splits on other squads, so I just kind of wanted to get that. I think it's thirteen thirteen. Yeah, but you have uh, the, you have the DH folks. There's no reason to have fourteen. I mean, that yeah, I'm not going to get into all that. I mean, if the Braves had a differently constructed bench and you know a manager that was like wanting to like rotate guys in and out and like have vastly different lineups, but that is not what the Braves or Brand, manager Brian Snicker oh, are. Eric, so, uh, just, Eric. By the way, I'm I'm kind of glad they don't have like a a more legitimate all, all respect to uh 
Chabot Trump. I'm glad they don't have a third catcher that they're going to like be tempted to carry because <laughs> Snip might carry him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with uh, this matchup in particular. Yeah. Uh, that because, I mean, Contreras is really good against the Phillies and Darno is awful against them. If you want to have, a, if you want to have a little bit of kind of a doomer moment, go look at what uh, Darno has done against the Phillies this year. It's been pretty abysmal. Uh, I was writing the, that article earlier today to talk a little bit about the season matchup and he's been really bad against them. So I'm with you. I'm glad that that's uh, not really a realistic option. Uh, hopefully that doesn't, you know, turn into the jinx to end all jinxes that I wake up on Tuesday morning and I see, you know, it's, <laughs> some uh, some catcher that we've never seen in a game on the roster or anything. But I do think it's a 13-13 split. Uh, I agree with the 10 that you have as locks. Uh, I will note that Bowman was like decidedly not in the uh, Matzik as a lock. Uh, he didn't, At least it didn't seem like it was a lock. I mean, uh, he, sh- he probably shouldn't be by, by performance. It's just that he's Tyler Matzik, you know? Yeah. And he, he's, he's Tyler Matzik, has played playoff experience. Um, is he like one of your best relief options anymore? No. Yeah, he hasn't been. Uh, you know, he... He, he gave up his arm for that run last year. And frankly, it, you know, if that's a sacrifice that needs to be made to do what he did last year, then it is what it is. Uh, I'll go ahead and say that I don't think Strider is a lock, but it's very close. Uh, so like for the 11th, for the 11th team, I just, I would just put Strider on there um, again, barring something really unexpected happening uh, over the next 48 hours or so. I think he's on there. And after that, you have to guys, guys who can give you multiple innings. Um, I don't think Kirby Yates is going to be ready. Even if he is healthy, I don't think he has time to kind of like be ready to go. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think he'll, what he'll be is on the taxi squad and all he'll be doing is throwing bullpens and just kind of getting in good game shape uh, as kind of like one of your emergency relievers, just in case. Uh, again, Jackson Stevens has, you know, results may vary. You know, he, he did his absolute best being completely hung over in that last game of the season. During the <laughs> winnings. Uh, it was very clear. That's what the problem was. Uh, but I think he's the the twelfth guy, and so then it comes down to Odorizzi, Elder, or Muller. Um, I think that a lot of this is going to be determined a bit by where the Braves think that Elder is specifically. Um, but I, I think at the end that Odorizzi is probably the most likely option. He has more experience in terms of being a veteran and things like that. I think Elder is the better pitcher. Um, I wouldn't necessarily do Muller against this Phillies team because they're pretty good against lefties, and he's been pretty iffy. Uh, especially late in the season. So it comes down to Odorizzi or Elder. I wouldn't be shocked if they went with Elder just because as a a right-handed arm, but he's also a guy that can have issues with the home run ball, and that's like the one way this Phillies offense can beat you. Now, Odorizzi doesn't like instill the most confidence in me, but they were also running Odorizzi out there late in in the season in, in important games. So for me, you know, in terms of a guy who you need to get like three or four innings in a playoff game unexpectedly, it seems like he's the most likely option, even if I'm not thrilled about it. Yeah, I would echo most of what's been said here. I, you know, again, assuming Strider is on there, then you have two open spots. I think Jackson Stevens is very likely to be on. Um, you know, he, Jackson Stevens kind of quietly threw some really big innings for this team. I mean, he was the 10th and 11th inning option late in games and pitched pretty well. Um, so I think he is maybe not a, a a lock, but I, I mean, I would be surprised if Jackson Stevens is not on this team. I think, I think he has the trust of of Brian Snitker in the front office. Um, and then, as Eric outlined, the pros and cons of of the handful of guys who will say are in the running to start Game Four, or even just be you know, like over the weekend, there was a 15 inning game between Cleveland and Tampa Bay. Not that that's very likely to happen, but you do need a pitcher on the in the bullpen who could throw four or five innings if some like bizarre scenario came up. 
Um, I would lean towards Odorizzi. He's a veteran. He pitched in the World Series last year. He has been around the block. Um, none of them, Odorizzi, Elder, or Muller, are exactly exciting options. But I, you know, I think it is what it is, and I would lean towards the veteran who's done it before. Wow, I was all prepared to have to argue on behalf of Jake Odorizzi. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I cannot believe you guys both did that. Um, Obviously, you know where I stand on this. Uh, it would be Odorizzi for me, and uh, Braves fans are going to hate that, and that's okay. Uh, but no, I, I think that what you all said is right. Um, I think Stevens is a fringe lock. Like, I think that I'll be surprised if it's not Stevens as the 11th guy, because then you basically you go, okay, now you have 11. Um, and then for me, it's like, if Strider's there, he's an obvious 12, and then you got then you only need one of the other three. If it's not Strider, then you have to take two of Odorizzi, Elder, Muller, and I think we'll see how, what they do there. Um, and the thing with uh, the only argument there, I think pretty obviously, if it was to like throw bulk, they probably want Odorizzi or Elder. The, the argument on behalf of Moeller, and maybe Eric can add to this too, is like he has the best stuff in terms of like bullpen wise. He's not really done that a lot, but he does have the best like raw stuff in terms of like playing up in the bullpen. So maybe that's part of the theory there. But Odorizzi's done it, done it in the past out of the bullpen in the playoffs. And like you said, like if it's the 13th inning and you got to be like, all right, you're the only guy we have left. They have to have one of those guys. And, you know, it's going to be one of the three. And I think, especially knowing Snit, if he has any say in this, they're going to probably roll with Odorizzi. If it's Elder, it won't bother me at all. Like, I'm, I should I should be honest about that, even though I've honestly been painted as the Odorizzi guy for good reason. Um, if they go with Elder, I will not be upset about that at all. If it's Muller, I'll kind of raise an eyebrow a little bit. I think Elder's at least proven uh, a lot more at the major league level so far. He's, he's had a, a lot bigger track record of being pretty good. Um, but I, I think it, if it was up to me, I would Obviously, we're all hoping for Strider, and then I would take Odorizzi as my last guy, but we'll see. Eric, do you have any thoughts on Muller as a bullpen option? Because you've seen him the most out of everybody else. I mean, he has the best stuff of those three without question, but he just hasn't yeah. really pitched, pitched as a reliever. And, and you know, asking a, a guy who's basically a rookie to come and throw meaningful innings in a playoff game as a rookie, and that's like his only experience as a reliever, uh, doesn't seem like the best plan to me. Uh, we kind of saw that backfire a little bit against the Braves. Uh, they decided to just run Dylan Lee out there as the the opener uh, in a game that in went the World down, Series. <laughs> yeah, in, it went down in infamy. Um, you know, at least Kyle Wright had thrown in playoff games. Is that kind of that bulk guy? They don't have that guy outside of Odorizzi right now. Is the thing you know, like Elder and Muller just have don't have that kind of big stage experience, especially out of the bullpen, uh, and that that does matter. I mean, you you ask any like bullpen guy who's been an opener or you know, starters had to come out of the bullpen like that throws that they can really throw guys off. Uh, some guys, they just don't care. There's like whatever else us go out there and pitch. And I can't say for, with any amount of certainty whatsoever that Elder or Muller would fit that mold. At the very least, Odorizzi's done it. Um, yep. I will say the, the the results on Odorizzi have not been particularly great. And, you know, that that's that you don't feel good about that situation, period. Um, so, uh, but again, once you have a, you have a few multi-inning options, like McHugh's a guy that can throw multiple innings. Chavez is a guy that can throw multiple innings. Stevens is a guy that can throw multiple innings. You, you, if your last guy is an arm like Odorizzi, it's fine. Now, if Odorizzi's starting game three and is throwing five innings, I have a different type of approach to answering this question, but I don't think that's going to happen. Perhaps you've forgotten that Jake Odorizzi was uh, fantastic in his last outing against the Miami Marlins, sir. I have don't. not, I have not forgotten, sir. But uh, I will I'm say just, that I, uh, I can I'm look just at. I, yeah, oh, I know. I'm just saying. You know, there's been other times. So there's a reason why people are yelling. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I was reminded um, on Twitter this week about the Kevin Gosman era and how I think that was probably my my uh, villain origin story about defending starting pitchers, and he ended up being awesome again after he left the Braves. That's so. too funny. 
It's very funny. Um, anyway, we'll leave that there for now. We we'll, we will talk about that during the course of the series once we know about Strider and uh, the approach for Game Three and Game Four. But it'll be obviously a kind of a throw together job if they have to uh, operate without Strider. Um, there is one more kind of X factory thing, and that's how they handle the left field DH split. Let's not go long on this. We've already gone long on this podcast, and I will I'll plug this now on the written side. Our friend Twitterless Ivan wrote a fantastic piece today, breaking this all down in very big detail on uh, great stats and approaching and stuff like this. But the only decision starter wise, it feels like as a position player anyway, is uh, what happens in left field and DH and um, not to spoil the conclusion of Ivan's piece, but uh, you know, he's a pretty clear recommendation. Do either of you have strong takes on uh, who should be starting? Let's say uh, game one against the left-handed pitcher and then game two against the right-handed pitcher. Cause we'll obviously have the chance to see both options. Scott will go to you first this time. Um, do you uh, have a strong take on what those spots look like? Yeah, so I think against the left-handed starter, you want to utilize Robbie Grossman to his strengths. He has been okay against lefties since coming over with the Braves, although historically he's been really good against them. So I would put Grossman in left field, um, and then I would do uh, Bill Contreras at DH against the lefty. Contreras has mashed left-handed pitching, uh, Marcel has been better over the last couple weeks, months, though he has reverse splits. So he's been better against righties than lefties, which is. So for game one, I would roll with Contreras and uh, Robbie Grossman, I guess, in games two, three and four, whenever they're going to see a right handed starter. I think you probably go with Eddie Rosario. Uh, Rosario, of course, has the postseason pedigree, whether that means anything or not. I would be shocked if he's not out there. It's been a rough year for Eddie. Uh, maybe with a big October, he can, uh, you know, kind of gloss over that and, and remind us why the Braves brought him back. Uh, you know, for DH, I would still take Contreras over Ozuna. I know right-handed pitching recently. I, I wouldn't be stunned if Ozuna is DHing against the righties. Um, that, that's not what I would do, but I, I think that's probably how I think it plays out. Yeah, I think that Contreras just needs to be playing a whole bunch in this series, just in general, because again, in Darno's, I, I, he has not played well against the Phillies for whatever reason. The issue with that plan, though, is I think that there's like zero chance that Contreras plays more than Darno at catcher. So the, the uh, honestly, is he is Darno going to catch every game? I think he might catch every game. Honestly. He might, yeah. So that means that the only way you get Contreras' bat, who's better than all of these options. Than we just discussed better than Ozuna, better than Rosario, better than Grossman. I don't care about the splits. He's the guy you'd want in there. So in that case, like I think I would want Contreras against lefties for sure. Uh, against righties, it would honestly it might depend a little bit on the righty because you know when you have guys like you know when it's Wheeler uh, or Nola, uh, Contreras, you know putting uh, Ozuna in there over the Contreras might be a little bit more defensible just because it, you know again those are you know, better pitchers. And I don't, uh, I'm not in love with Ozuna. I prefer him just to be off the roster altogether, but that's neither here nor there. And I think at the end of the day, that's just not going to happen. So at the end of the day, I think that, you know, like some amount of splitting time between, you know, Contreras and Ozuna at DH is going to happen. I kind of liked what uh, the split that uh, Scott was talking about, you know, having Grossman and Rosario splitting time out there in left field, but you know, it, it gets a little bit tough because, you know, neither of those guys instill the most confidence and Ozuna's played reasonably well down the stretch. So it's 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 certainly the area that I have the least confidence in my guess as to what's going to happen. 
but my my goal primarily would be is to get Contreras as many at bats as possible. Uh, and when you have you know Darno, you know basically going to be you know not written in ink, but it it's pretty close to catching the vast majority of these games. Then we have some kind of some interesting decisions to make with the rest of these guys. Yeah, we'll move on. I have two strong opinions. One of which is what you guys just said. Uh, I would DH Contreras every day in this series if he's not catching. Um, I don't know if Stitt's going to do that. In fact, I, I would guess he probably doesn't. We saw Ozuna in games that really mattered down the stretch playing over Contreras, which probably revealed Snickers' current preference. But if it's me, Contreras is in the lineup every day in this series, whether he's catching or he's DHing. And then that makes it easy and on some level. Uh, Grossman should definitely be the guy against left hand against the lefty. So game one, Grossman left field, pencil it in, write it in pen. That'd be an easy decision. The only one that's even close for me, honestly, is who plays left against a righty between Rosario and Ozuna. Um, they're both bad options. Rosario, I, I again encourage you to read Ivan's piece today. Um, we all love Eddie Rosario for what he did last year. Uh, he's been very bad this year in every aspect, and it looks worse because of how bad he was early. But even if you were to take out the stuff that we sort of assume was eye related once he got that fixed he's still been bad he's been less bad but he's been bad defensively it's been a, it's been a struggle for him all year long and while Ozuna is also a bad defender in left field uh I don't know how big that gap is which is kind of crazy but I don't, I don't know how much better how much better Rosario is than Ozuna in left and Ozuna is a better hitter right now so if they if they were to use Ozuna in in left against a right-handed pitcher that is totally fine but uh there you go um all right moving on from there uh, before we get out of here, we have to talk about the odds quickly. Um, the Braves are favored in the series. We kind of all acknowledge that and know it. Um, the betting market likes the Braves more than the projections actually do. The Bra- they're probably like the two-thirds to one-third range in the betting market, whereas some of the projections are not quite as favorable. 530 likes the Braves a lot, actually. But Fangraphs is 54% for the Braves. And uh, Sportsline, where I work, the CBS uh, odds distributor, has the Braves at 52% to win the series. Now, they're favored. But that's not that's not the split that you would think you would be uh, normally seeing for a team that won 101 games uh, with home field advantage. So uh, here's my regular disclaimer about how baseball is super weird and a small sample size best best of five series can go a lot of different ways. But um, did that strike you as as shockingly low, or was it a situation where like the way I put it is like I'm closer to where the odds market is than the actual projections of Fangraphs and Sportsline? But uh, either one of you like get mad about this, or is it just like all right, it's baseball, small sample size, whatever. Yeah, I mean, look, we're talking about small samples and we're talking about generally speaking with series projections that, you know, they're they 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 seem to be really heavily weighted by the what starting pitchers are in play and how much their projections like those starting pitchers, right? And in the case of Wheeler and Nola, those are very very good starters and they're I don't know if they're writing writing down, you know, you know, kind of kind of pricing in that that you know, they think those guys are going to go 7 innings and give up one run in, in each of their starts, but Again, overall, just not that surprising. It's playoff baseball. These are two good teams. Uh, I am more kind of in the 538 camp than I am in the Fangraph Sportsline uh, camp. But at the same time, like, I'm not going to be shocked if the Phillies win this series. Like, I'll just go ahead and say that. It's just, you know, too many weird things can happen. This is a this is a good Phillies team, and it's not the team that I certainly prefer to come out of that series with the Cardinals. So, you know, it's not that weird, uh, but even though if I disagree with it. Yeah, the people in Vegas – know a lot uh, <laughs> they do they, they don't uh build those nine thousand room casinos with a bunch of winners down in the sports books so um yeah it, it sounds right i mean again as as we've said as we know quite well from the braves magical run and really just recent world series champions anything can happen teams that are built well for october can get hot and go on runs 
Um, but you know, to be clear, the Braves are a better team. They have a better roster. Um, I, I think they're going to win the the series. Uh, spoiler alert here is we're getting ready to make our predictions. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, anything can happen, man. I mean, the Braves have been phenomenal. They've been arguably the best team in baseball since June 1st. Could the Braves have a bad week and have their season end? Absolutely. O- of course they could. And But that's the same for every other team. Houston has been dominant all year. L.A. has been dominant all year. The Yankees have been really good other than their little, you know, swoon in the middle of summertime. Like, that, that's what makes the playoffs fun. And I think the Braves are rightfully the favorites going in. I, I think they're going to win. But if you tell me that in a week the season is over and Philadelphia beat Atlanta, that, that, that would not be like a shocking upset by any means. Yeah, that's kind of where I am about this. I mean, we all acknowledge the Braves are a better team. We'll, we'll get predictions right now, but it's one of those things where basically the way we always say this, if you're a new listener, forgive us. I guess this will probably be revealing for you. If you're an old listener, forgive us for repeating ourselves. But the way that I kind of always say it on the podcast is like even the best team in the league, let's say the Dodgers this year with a historic run differential, they won 111 games. If they were playing a 500 team in a best of five series, they might win 80% of the time, 85% of the time. They they still lose a real amount of the time in a series this short. Now, if they're playing a best of 27 series, they're going to win a lot. <laughs> but if they're anytime you're playing a best of five series in baseball or best of three series in baseball, uh, a lot can go wrong. And, you know, that's all we need to say. Honestly, all you need to know is last year's Braves team. Like I know for most fans, they just kind of think about their own team and don't pay attention to the baseball at large. So I'll, I'll put it this way. Last year's Braves team was the underdog most of the way in the playoffs, and they ended up winning the series. So I, this time the roles the roles reverse, and the Braves are the favorite. So you might you might be thinking, "Wow, why are the Braves only favored by that much?" Well, the Braves were the underdogs last year, and all we heard was that the Braves were, were not were not um, taken seriously by people. So now they're favored. We'll see if they hold serve, and I think we all believe they will. But uh, to, as Scott sort of gave away a second ago, it's time to sort of weigh in with our actual official predictions on the uh, amount of game. I'm going to ask you guys two questions. So prepare as I say this. Uh, I need a series result from you, which means I think it's going to be Braves, but uh, Braves in how many games? And also I need uh, I need one bold prediction of some kind, whether it's your MVP pick, an X factor in the series, something like that. Uh, so uh, I will, I guess I'm going to let you guys race to who, uh, to who speaks up first here. And uh, I could give my, I could give mine first. Actually, let me, let me do that for you. Give me, give me some more time, guys. I'll give my pick. I will say Braves in four. I don't know which game they're going to lose. They're going to lose one, I think, and Braves win in four games. That's probably the most likely outcome overall. It's either four or five by the numbers, projections that I would say that Braves by four and a half, something like that. Um, but uh, and my my bold prediction for the series is not about Jake Odorizzi. It is instead that Charlie Morton will have a very good start in his one outing in the series. Not, not an MVP start, but an, a good start. There you go. Bold predictions. I'll go ahead and say that I don't think that Charlie Morton is going to have a particular. I know that, that's that's why that's why it's bold because uh, it's, 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 it's why it's bold. Uh, I do think the Braves are going to win this series. I think it's going to be very close. I think we're going to have a lot of like four three type games, five three type games, one two run games. Uh, everyone's going to be in their feelings about it on on the twitters and in the comments, and I'm just frankly going to ignore both of those places during this whole series. Uh, I think that Zach Wheeler is going to beat the Braves. Uh, I think that this series goes the distance, but I do think the Braves win it in five. And I'll go ahead and go, I'll go on the limb here and say that despite the fact that he has not looked particularly good against Philadelphia this year, he's 
seems like he's swinging the bat a lot better. And, you know, this is going to be kind of his time to shine. Your NLDS MVP is going to be Matt Olson. All right. I dig that. All right, Scott. Is it a, uh, give me, give me your uh, super West coast, ridiculous bull prediction. <laughs> I am so excited to watch the Braves at 10 AM on Tuesday morning. Um, I think the Braves win in four. I will go with Austin Riley as the series MVP. Um, Austin was out of his mind for a couple of months there in the summertime and then has been just good since then. He has not been superb. Um, I think he has a really nice series. Um, yeah, as Eric said, I would not be surprised if all of these games are pretty close. Um, I'm very interested to see what kind of games these are. These, in my opinion, are, are two teams who could very easily have some high-scoring shootouts, but really throughout the first weekend of the playoffs, it has been low-scoring. And if these are low-scoring affairs, I think that favors the Braves quite a bit. Uh, We will see how it all plays out. There's also a very much, uh, there's a familiarity element with this series as well. We will see how much that makes an impact, if any. Uh, But it should be a lot of fun, and and either way, um, you know, again, it's, it's just worth saying what a terrific run the Braves had to get to this point, and Hopefully they're able to take out Philadelphia. Since you guys gave MVP picks, I have to give one to Ronald Acuna, MVP of the series. So there you go. Uh, yeah, like right. he didn't. I mean, I think he's hungry. He didn't get to play last year, and yeah. I, I, I think, think he, he um, a big playoff. Yeah, I think you can have a real appreciation when you're sitting in the dugout watching everything, and yeah, I think that's a good call. Yeah, I, I still uh, spoiler. I, I think I think Ronnie is still their best player. I know that's maybe controversial these days. I know there are people that might might say Riley or whatever. I, I still think that Ronnie's the best player on the team. So, um, and and having those five days off probably have not have helped a single player more than Ronnie. That's a also a good point. I didn't think about that. So that add that to my prediction already of Ronnie's MVP run in this series. All right, gentlemen, thank you for your time on this extended edition of the Battery Power podcast. Um, I will just say this at the uh, at the bottom as well as the top of the podcast. Uh, we we definitely encourage everyone that's listening to the show to subscribe and also tell uh, tell a friend or two or three about the podcast. We've been rolling with four different shows on one podcast network. There is this show, which is uh, usually a combination of the three of us. Uh, that you're listening to on this show today. Also, we have Road to Atlanta, which Eric heads up on the minor league side. We have the Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman, who's doing a great job for us on the bite-sized editions of the podcast. And also we have uh, our newest show with Chris Willis and Stephen Tolbert. Uh, That's a fun show, sort of a deep dive, more analytical approach of things. And Chris and Stephen are doing great great work as well. So we'll uh, be here all the way through the playoffs. If you remember from last year, if you're a returning listener, we will have a podcast after every game. Uh, it may not be immediately after the game, but within a couple of hours, few hours after the game, there'll be a podcast for you for your next morning commute and all that fun stuff. So please keep it locked. Please re- rate and review the show. Follow us on Twitter at Battery Power SBN. Uh, Eric, plug yourself first before we get to Scott, and then we'll get we'll sign off of this thing. Uh, if you want to see me yelling at Braves fans for saying stupid things, or just to hear about what's going on with the uh, be nice uh, to Braves fans, on, Eric. <laughs> I can go and tell you there's basically no shot that I get through this postseason without making some big, some really bad tweets. Um, you can follow me over at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, we are still going to be doing some minor league coverage here and there, including coverage of the AFL. So make sure you keep an eye out for the battery power on batterypower.com for kind of some recappy type stuff about that. But overall, kind of just getting into the deep dive of, you know, the postseason and, you know, podcasting a whole bunch. Uh, I'm certain uh, there's a lot of people who are tired of hearing my voice this week. I promise it won't be quite as bad this coming week. So, you know, just, you know, make sure you follow us, make sure you send your, uh, your prospect, prospect list requests and your, uh, 
you know, trade recommendations to at BT Roland. Uh, Brad wants all those, so let's make sure you send those to him. Disagree. Scott? Scott Coleman, 55. Thanks, everybody. Go Colts. Um, all right, well, <laughs> Ryan. We'll, we'll, we'll oh, go. we could go for an hour on that one. <laughs> uh, wanted to get that at the, end, at the end of the podcast. All right, everybody, please subscribe to the show. We'll be back again. Uh, I, I think we'll be at least, at least one episode between now and the first pitch of the opener on Tuesday, but don't hold me to that. We'll have some more content coming in the future, and at the very latest, you'll hear from some combination of us after game one on Tuesday. We'll see you next time.